Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow a great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the suite. Hitting a wall, followed by a first-time meeting with Bobby White and an impromptu move from San Francisco to Birmingham, Alabama, put Shannon Spotswood career on a rocket ship. Fast forward nearly five years, she's never looked back. As president of RFG Advisory, a hybrid REA based in Birmingham with 54 independent advisors in 14 locations with over $2 billion of assets under advisement at the time of this recording, Shannon is busy building what she and her partners call RFG 2.0, the REA of the future. Shannon Spotswood was named president of RFG Advisory in February of 2016. Her strategic vision for the firm is one of well-executed expansion across the U.S., and Shannon's focus is on best practices for advisor recruitment and transitions, corporate marketing, business development, and M&A. She's committed to supporting RFG's high-growth hybrid REA platform with a network of professional independent advisors and an unbelievable mindset. With more than 20 years of experience, Shannon is putting her enthusiastic passion for the finance industry to work developing the processes and technology to help RFG advisors and their clients succeed. Named a top 300 REA in the U.S. by Financial Times, a 2020 MMI Barron's Awards finalist, and a 2020 WealthManagement.com Industry Awards finalist, RFG is an innovator in the wealth management industry. Prior to her time at RFG, Shannon spent 20 years in finance serving as a portfolio manager and a director of a long-only equity strategy for a San Francisco-based hedge fund, Symphony Asset Management, and as an investment banker with Volpe Brown Whelan and Company. Passionate about Wall Street since her 14th birthday, when she was given a subscription to the Wall Street Journal, Shannon started her career as a research analyst and junior trader for EGM Capital and worked for Payne Weber during college. She also co-founded the luxury children's line Busy Bees during a three-year creative hiatus from the industry to give birth to three children in three and a half years. She holds a BA in economics and political science from Arizona State University. And certainly one of the many amazing gifts you'll discover about Shannon is whatever Shannon does, she's all in. From working at one of the first hedge funds in San Francisco to being mentored by one of the first female portfolio managers to running a luxury children's clothing company to now building 2.0 with her partners, Bobby White and Rick Waddell, Shannon Spotswood is relentless in the pursuit of excellence. The power of her example reminds us that we all have to have a purpose bigger than ourselves to drive us in the suite. Wow. Shannon Spotswood, I am really, really excited for today's conversation here in the suite today. Oh, it's great to see your face this morning. Good morning. I'm so excited we're doing this recording today. (laughs) I mean, it's so much fun. You and I, first of all, you and I go back. Whenever I think of Shannon Spotswood, I think of you and I at the Orion Fuse competition in Park City, Utah. And we're at the Fuse House, which is like a reality show. The The mountains are in the background. We're surrounded. We're two women surrounded by coders, developers, programmers, the fabulous people at, at Orion, including Eric Clark, Brad Burgess, all the other judges. You got Michael Kitsis. You got Joel Bruckenstein. You got Bill Winterberg and us on like sofas with in this house with all these computers and everybody doing all this coding and 
they did such a good job making us feel so comfortable. And I was like, yes, I want to meet her. <laughs> and, and I even remember we were taking a power walk on that main drag, right? And the mountains are in the are background. It was such an incredible time. And especially now with the pandemic, I appreciate it so, so much more, so much more. I mean, good morning, Tina. It it brings back such a flood of amazing memories. I mean, when you really think about that, that Fuse hackathon and the innovation that was being explored in our industry at that event and just this like renegade attitude and everyone was just like, we're going to do things in an innovative, disruptive way. And Orion was obviously at the core of that that event. And it did feel like a reality TV show. I mean, I, I have such fond memories of that time, especially in that, that beautiful location. And I'll tell you, for me, as I reflect back on that, and it's so fun for you to bring up that memory, I was still so new to the industry. I'd only been at RFG for just one year, and which means I'd only been working in retail wealth management for one year. And I just thought, this is so cool. Here we are sitting on the cutting, bleeding edge of fintech and thinking about the disruption in our industry and how are we going to serve advisors more in a more impactful way? How are we going to serve clients? How are we going to make wealth management cool? And that energy was just so contagious. I think about that as a springboard for where we are today at RFG and what a transformational leader and voice Orion has been for our industry. We had Kelly Waltrick, of course, their chief marketing officer in the suite too in a previous episode. So it was great to talk to her. Yeah, I think going back to what you were saying about that whole spirit of innovation, we were just all super jazzed at what was happening. Nothing could have prepared me for the awesomeness of, of that event. You and I since have been to the, the conference. So at Orion Ascent, which then they, they graduated and, and meshed the two events together, the Fuse competition and the Orion Ascent. And you and I also spent time at TD, Ameritrade, at their Link Conference. It was so impactful then, but it's so impactful now. And I really wanted to lead the podcast with getting back and channeling that energy because you are, you're an innovator, number one. Number two, anybody that knows Shannon Spotswood, high energy, you're fit. I would definitely think you're a personal trainer or something like that. You've got three kids. So you bring this incredible origin story and energy to what you do. And today, you're president of RFG Advisory. You run a hybrid REA, multi-custodial hybrid REA firm in Birmingham, Alabama. You've got 55 advisors, 14 locations, 2.2 billion in AUM and growing. And oh, by the way, RFG Advisory was just named a top 300 by, by Financial Times. You're a finalist for a Wealth Management Industry Award for non-custodial support platforms for stronger money. And it's coronavirus <laughs> and you're growing like a rocket ship and championing the story of growth and innovation. I want to lead with that. Where does that come from? How has the pandemic actually done the opposite for you, put you on a rocket ship? Well, I know it's it's been a really challenging time for so many people. And I think all of our hearts really go out to those that have suffered either professionally or personally or, or in their health. I, I don't want it to sound like we're, we're, we're taking advantage of this period of just dislocation and uncertainty. And there's, there's a tremendous amount of fear out there, but there's also just a tremendous amount of innovation and creativity always results from a time of crisis. If we if we look back to 2008 and the companies that were born during that time, and I remember those dark days. I was at a hedge fund. We had money at Lehman Brothers. I mean, those were dark days. So I, I remember that time. But what's so fascinating about where we are now is that there is this intersection that's happening with innovation, with disruption, with tearing down barriers, with really thinking about 
about problems through a new lens. In a lot of ways, that is the essence of what RFG has been thinking about and really been leaning into over the course of the last four years. So when I joined RFG, we were founded in 2003 by my business partner, Bobby White, who's an advisor and who is really a forward thinker for our industry. It's a really fantastic story and it sets up for why are we thriving today? That very first meeting, we both had it on our calendars as a filler meeting. And I was looking for what I was calling seeking the intangible. I was looking for an opportunity where talent and just upside potential intersect and you can build something bigger than yourself, like this very amorphous intangible. And we sat down and in those first 15 minutes, we had a conversation about the winds of change, about the disruption coming to bear on the wealth management industry. And you have all of these factors converging. You have the generational wealth transfer. You have the average age of the financial advisor, 62, 63 years old. These are first generation businesses for all intents and purposes. Right around 15% of financial advisors have a succession plan. You have a tremendous amount of private equity and venture capital money and coming into our industry to build these fintech solutions. So you have disruptive technology. You have fee compression. You have companies outside of our traditional industry who are eyeing the wealth management industry. So this just, this tornado of change is coming to bear. And he and I, in that very first conversation, talked about what is the RIA of the future? Mm. What does a financial advisor need to not just survive, but to thrive five years from now, 10 years from now? What are clients expecting of their financial advisor, of this incredibly important and impactful relationship in their life? And we really recognized that it was going to look different. So from minute one, day one that I started at RFG, we've been building the RIA of the future. We very intentionally tore the house down and started from the ground floor up, started building a fully integrated tech stack, started talking about culture, started thinking about what does it mean to deliver service. So when this pandemic hit, you know, we always say we didn't plan, obviously, for a global pandemic, but we did plan for the future. And so we really have been able to thrive during this period. It took us 24 hours to take our entire operation, all of our advice advisors, their team, our team, to a fully remote location. And our advisors have really been growing tremendously during this time because clients are looking around, who can help me? Who has the technology? Who has the tools? Who's communicating to me on a daily basis via video? Who is wrapping their arms around me and making me feel safe? And by building the RIA of the future, that is exactly how we have position the firm and exactly what our advisors have been able to do as a result. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot right there. I, I want to pick up on something that you first said in the in the beginning and how you were seeking the intangible. So here you are, you're seeking the intangible. You have this filler meeting with the CEO, the founder of RFG, Bobby White. This is really an incredible person training with a Navy SEAL. How did you even get there? How is it that you were able to find a needle in the haystack and find a Bobby White who wanted to be take that journey with you into the future? Every story has a, uh, a starting point. And I have had a tremendously just unbelievable opportunity and experience throughout my career. I always knew I wanted to work in finance from a very, very young age, 14 years old. I, I would say I want to work on Wall Street. I moved to San Francisco in the early 90s and was incredibly fortunate in that the roles and the companies that I was with in San Francisco in the, in the three places where I landed, I was on the ground floor of what turned into a rocket ship. So the very first hedge fund that I started at was actually the first hedge fund, one of the first hedge funds founded in San Francisco. And it had as a lead portfolio manager, a female portfolio manager. That was 
unheard of. Hedge funds were still a really novel concept and to have the lead PM be a woman and found my first mentor. And I was I was hired into that role as the executive assistant to the president, the founder of that firm, the CEO of that firm. That job took me an hour, two hours a day. And so I really knew I wanted to be, you know, I always said I want to be a hedge fund manager. I want to be an investor. And so I would start my day, you know, it's early on the West Coast. I would start my day at about 4.30 4.35 in the morning and help the, the lead trader. And that was right as the IPO market was really starting to bubble up. So I would work from say 4.30 until about noon. I would do my real job from noon to two. And then I would work for her in the afternoon and she taught me how to analyze companies. I was her analyst and we were, it was a startup for all intents and purposes that was five years old. And within a few months of landing there, we hit our five-year anniversary and their assets literally grew over overnight. I stayed there for a year. I then knew I wanted to get hired into an investment banking program. I joined a firm called Volpe Brown Whalen, who was a total renegade in the investment banking world. Our logo was a T-Rex with an X through it because we were like the anti-investment bank. And all we did was, was tech and healthcare tech. Two months after I got there, we took the first internet company public Netscape. And it was is off to the races. I mean, it was it was an experience, Tina. Like you can't imagine that energy. We were all so young. We were writing prospectuses. What is the World Wide Web? What is the internet? Driving up and down the 101 in Silicon Valley, knocking on doors. Have you ever thought about taking your company public? I mean, there was nothing to lose. It was it was a wild, wild west. And you learned so much in those intense jobs. You know, that's a hundred hour plus a week experience, sleeping under your desk, people screaming at you at two in the morning about pitch decks, jumping on red eyes, all of that. There's nothing like that rush and was given the opportunity to work in a M&A for that firm. And then I really landed my dream job. I was hired by a hedge fund called Symphony Asset Management. They were at the time predominantly a quantitative fund. They needed to bring someone in who had a qualitative skill set and really talk to companies and bridge that quantitative to qualitative world. And I was employee number nine. And that firm now is north of $30 billion, was acquired by Nuveen Investments while I was there. Six years, I ran a hedge fund, a long short equity hedge fund, and then I helped them launch a, a very successful business on the long only equity side of investing for the retail channel, which is kind of my glimpse around the corner into retail wealth management. And then as much as I had had this career in San Francisco and this I mean, it was a fairy tale. It was everything I'd ever dreamed of. And one day it wasn't. One day I hit a wall and I had had three children. I was I was that woman who woke up one morning at 34 and was like, oh, I forgot to have a baby. And, and had three children in three and a half years. I call it my, oh my goodness. I call wow. that creation period. And um, so I had these little, little kids and I was crawling on airplanes and working at this hedge fund. And it was all of a sudden everything that I had loved. It was not what I needed. And And um, that is a very disorienting place to be. And I think a lot of women can really relate to that threshold, that crossroad. And I knew I wanted to keep working. I had done while running the fund. I had done a lot of investing in, in retail. And I was very curious about brand development and building a brand. And um, I partnered with a woman and we built a luxury children's clothing company. And at the time that I partnered with her, it was a bunch of inventory kind of upside down in boxes in her garage. And she was this just creative force. And she needed someone who knew how to build a spreadsheet and run a cash flow statement and negotiate with the bank for a line of credit. And I needed to diversify my skill set, right? I had yeah. always 
worked in the corporate world. I always used to say, you sweat every post-it note when you're a startup. And when you're working on the tallest building in San Francisco at a hedge fund, you don't think twice about grabbing a stack of post-it notes. That's what led me to RFG is that I had taken this creative break from the industry. I was building this luxury children's clothing company. My husband and I decided to make the move from San Francisco to Birmingham to raise our kids closer to family and to have a chapter in the South. And I I had decided after three years of running Busy Bees with my partner that I had checked every box not only from a business plan perspective, but personally, my battery was recharged. I had learned so much. I'd learned how to build a website. I'd learned about social media. I'd learned about manufacturing clothing in Hong Kong and trade shows and Instagram and all of these things that I never would have touched on if I had just stayed the course of corporate finance in San Francisco. And so I took six months and I Enrolled, uh, you know, my day-to-day responsibility from BusyBees while I still have my ownership stake in the company and I'm still the biggest champion. And they're still up there. I was just on the site. I was like, really cute. You you get it. I, I'm waiting for you to come out of the doors of Shark Tank, <laughs> Mr. Wonderful, asking you about the financials <laughs> and you shutting him down, Jen. And that's what I'm... And then going to Mark Cuban, yes. And let me tell you our stats on social media. <laughs> And then them saying, oh, well, how did you get here? Well, yeah, I used to run a hedge fund and, and, and I was a long, short equity analyst. Let's make her an offer. And I was like, wow, of all the names, Shannon Spotswood is a big B too. So there we've got alignment there. But in addition, it looks like you're really paying attention. The brand is is respecting the fact that we're in a COVID pandemic world. And so what I'm seeing from a clothing perspective and from uh, an offering is right in line with where we are today. Well, Busy Bees is timeless American prep clothing. They are doing a fantastic job of really meeting the needs of families for high quality. We always took a tremendous amount of pride that there was an heirloom quality to our clothing. You know, you literally can pass it down from within a family of multiple kids or to cousins or friends. And I used to say my son was the best test case because if that kid ate anything, it had ketchup on it. And if it had ketchup on it, it meant it was all over his shirt, <laughs> all over his cute little preppy baton striped polo. It would come right out. And I ended up passing all that down. So they're doing a fantastic job of de- continuing to, to really live up to that, that quality. And I think that's so important. I think that people really are recognizing that disposable lifestyle really does leave an emptiness to it. And what we used to really pride ourselves on and is still such an important touchstone for busy bees is families seek busy bees out for the moments that matter most in their life. The first day of school, the family picture, the the 4th of July, you know, all the cousins and grandchildren are all together and they're taking the big family picture and they want a coordinated look. So it's not just clothing. It weaves into the fabric of your memory of those important moments in your life. And I think having something of quality that you can pass down, that's not just, I'm going to throw this in the trash, you know, after I wear it for a season is, you know, people are starting to think about that. We're starting to think more about the sustainability and what we're buying and how we're buying and, and, and who we're supporting. And my partner at Busy Bees, Marion Barrett is, she is just a fearless commitment to delivering the best possible product on the market. And those masks have been selling like crazy. Oh, yeah, they're really cool. They're designed for yeah. little, little kids all the way to adults and they fit properly. And so it, the fact that she recognized that there was going to be a mask that was needed for a two-year-old is different from an eight-year-old is different from a 14-year-old is different from an adult. She's done great with that. So a couple of things there. And I like what you said, how your experience at Busy Bee, how you brought that with you 
to RFG, how the things that you learn, the skill set there, and this has been a common theme here in the suite, and that is that everything that you do, no matter what role it was and where it was and how it happened in your life, adds this cumulative power to who you are today. Well, first of all, you just deciding that you're going to stop everything and then go all in and you do you seem like that type of person Shannon that's like what you do you're all in either you're all in or you're all out that's a great lesson for all of us to take with us from from that busy bees experience be all in and if you're not all in then maybe you have to have a tough conversation with yourself and just say maybe it is time and this this pandemic right now has put a lot of people on a reboot a reevaluation of their of their life so it's a good takeaway i mean tina that's that is such a powerful observation and i think the um, the commitment to yourself to be all in is one of the greatest gifts that you can and one of the greatest promises that you can give to yourself because this is it, right? We only all get one shot. And whether it's I'm going to be all in, I'm going to be fully present when I'm with my kids. I'm going to be all in, I'm going to be fully present when I'm with my partners. I'm going to be all in, I'm going to be fully present when I'm with my with my family, with my friends, whatever the context is, whatever the situation is, and certainly from a professional and from a personal perspective, you kind of don't have a choice. And I do feel like there are there are so many positive things that are percolating to into our consciousness right now as a result of this global pandemic. And I, I know for me personally, I was on this like crazy crazy hamster wheel with Delta. I mean, Delta and I were like BFFs. I was practically on a first name basis with the gate agents in Atlanta, because as anyone knows who lives in Birmingham, you don't go anywhere uh, without going through Atlanta and all of that travel. And you just, you know, you're on that hamster wheel. And here we had this absolute stop, dead stop in the water, no travel, haven't been on an airplane since March. And I have never felt more like engaged with my partners, more engaged with my team, more present for my family, more more room in my headspace to think about whether it's disruptive change in our in our industry or in our business or what we want to do, you know, all the goal setting we're doing for RFG and how we can enhance the advisor independent experience and their client's experience. It's been transformational for me. And I don't think I would have had the courage to have called a timeout on my own on the amount of travel. I think I felt professionally, we all were feeling the pendulum, you know, we, you, there was countless articles and countless conversations about the absence of balance. And is balance even a realistic goal to seek? The pendulum had swung so far over and there was so much frenetic energy that was happening in all of our businesses, which felt really exciting. But there's always a cost to um, to running at that, at that speed. And so here we've had this period of reflection and reevaluation and assessment. And, you know, one of the, the things that for me that is so, is just flashing in the brightest of lights is to your point, like you've got to be all in. Mm. Got to be all in. You've got to. I always say to my kids, be where your feet are. Be mm. where your feet are. Be happy. Be present. Be grateful. Give grace. And that that is just a, a great lesson. And you know, Tina, as you were as you were setting that up and talking about that move from working at one of the the largest, most well known, I mean, smart people, and then Dang, it looks like Sex in the City. <laughs> you had everything without the naughtiness, <laughs> without the naughtiness, right? Of course, <laughs> let's leave that aside. But wow. Like you're that hero of the story that we look and you're beautiful and fit and glamorous and you've got three kids and a great husband and a great life. And so we look at that, right? Women, I think it's natural to look at another woman and say, oh, wow, she has it so together. That was a really defining moment to say, okay, uh, husband and kids, 
How are you today? Great. So at dinner, just want to talk to you about a few things. Okay, sure, mom. Um, yeah, we're going to move from San Francisco to Birmingham. And if your kids are like my kids, they would go, mom, no, I'm not leaving my friends. I'm not leaving my school. I'm not leaving. And and even your husband, right? We, we talk about the need, um, Mary Beth Storjahan, when she made a move to Abacus, really sitting down with intention and talking to your spouse and, and mapping out your journey. It's a collaborative discussion. How did that go down in the Spotswood family dinner table? You can imagine when um, you live in San Francisco and we'd been there over 20 years and you start to your friends and your colleagues, everybody that you're moving from San Francisco, California to Birmingham, Alabama. They think you've been abducted by aliens. Like something, is, something horrible has happened and I don't know what it is. <laughs> really, what did you do with Shannon? What happened to mom? Who is that? Exactly. Tina, it was a, um, it was an incredible, it was really an incredible time of, really, truly looking inward and looking to your heart and not being afraid to completely change things up. I mean, we had been there for over 20 years. That was our home. We had both, I had, San Francisco was my first great love. I fell in love with that city as a teenager and said, after I graduate from college, I'm moving to San Francisco. And hey, San Francisco was my first love. All of a sudden, it just felt like this, I wanted something and my husband and I wanted something different for our children. We just wanted to slow things down a little bit. We wanted to be closer to family. I was born in Nashville, but I was raised in Seattle. And I had this kind of, it's weird to say, but I had this like deep yearning in my soul to experience the South. I just, I felt like it was a chapter that had not been realized. Mm. And I had to just lean into that emotion so we talked about it for a long time. I was very fortunate in terms of my children because they were quite young still. So we moved when they were kindergarten, first grade, third grade. So everything's an adventure. They weren't as, as attached as they would be now as teenagers to right. their current environment. It was more like, yay, we're going, you know, we're going on this big adventure. This is where, you know, life gives you signs. So we had made the decision to move to Birmingham. We came for Thanksgiving. My husband's brother's family lives in Birmingham. We had looked at all these beautiful houses. It's such a beautiful community. And I called my sister-in-law, I'll never forget, January 17th. So after the holidays, and I said, she lives in this great neighborhood. I said to her, you know, I don't want to move to Birmingham unless I can live like in your neighborhood. And there's probably 40 houses in her neighborhood, call it, right? Yeah. So I basically made it impossible for us to move to Birmingham. I'm like, I only want to live there. I can live in one of these 10 places. And she walked next door and put a note on her neighbor's door, said, you know, have you ever thought about selling your house? And that woman called her 15 minutes later and said, this is the craziest thing. We're listing our house February 1st. Oh my, wow. And I turned to my husband and I said, if you're looking for signs and you're listening to God, like you've just got to listen to whatever is your higher calling or whatever is your gut feeling or however you think of that. And I said to him, (laughs) and I I don't necessarily recommend this. I said to him, babe, I don't care what it looks like. Just (laughs) buy it. We can fix it. So that house next door to my husband's brother and I show up, we're moving in. I show up. I've never seen this house. We're moving in. I was like, oh, oh, that, that might have been a little bit of an aggressive statement. So needless to say, the house has been renovated. Another reality TV show. It really does where we are today, listening to your gut. And, and what, I, what I really think about in that move, whether it's from Symphony to Busy Bees, Hedge Fund to upside down boxes of kids' clothing and, and baby cashmere, to moving to Birmingham, to partnering with Bobby and, and building RFG, it's all about the pivot. Your next move is your most important move. You cannot be stuck. You cannot be defined what's in the rear view mirror. You, your next move is your most important move. Where do you want to be tomorrow? What's going to get you out of bed in the morning? What's going to light your fire? 
And that to me is as I as I look back on my experience thus far, it's like, don't be afraid of the pivot. Don't be afraid of that uncertainty, of that change, of that that decision that might seem crazy to people and they tell you, you, you can't do it. It's impossible. It'll never be done. We heard it about RFG. We heard it about moving to Birmingham on a, on a personal level. Guess what? It can. And if you've got that feeling in your, in your soul, you owe it to yourself to pivot. I'm getting goosebumps right now by that. I just want to just say I'm, I'm holding up my arm right now. Wow. I'm going to say yes to whatever it is that you're proposing really seriously. And here's the thing. It's hard to do. You're making it so easy. We're all swept up in your current. And what you just said is that there's a really important part to all of this. Just go with it. You instinctively know who you are and what lights you up and what gets you super jazzed. And I think the more and more that you can do that outside of your life, when you do show up to the office and you do show up to lead a billion dollar firm here that you already come in there super jazz because the rest of your life is in alignment. So now here you are president of RFG. You're helping to champion this, this change. Obviously your, your partners, Bobby White, Rick Waddell, you've got a firm that is that embraces this type of mindset. Everybody wants to work with a company like that. It is an incredibly important piece uh, to really be honest about who you are and, and how you like to work and what it all means to you. And when when Bobby and I became partners and then Rick joined our partnership a year later, we are building RFG 2.0 from day one. I mean, Bobby is a tremendously inspirational leader. He really walks the walk in terms of what we talk about is a servant heart and a warrior mindset. And that the genesis of that, that vocabulary really stems from him. And at the very beginning, you know, when we talked about RFG 2.0 and Bobby and I literally had that first conversation, the cocktail party napkin at that very first filler meeting. And I can't tell you, Tina, that first year, it was all about research on custodians, on fintech solutions, on different business models, just talking to advisors, thinking about client experience, really delving in and, and researching the industry. And as we started to craft what was our what was our 2.0 going to look like, we heard the same thing over and over again. You can't do it. You're going to lose all your advisors. It's too hard. It's impossible. You're going to fail. It's going to cost too much money. You'll never find the talent. I mean, the number of times people told us it can't be done was far greater than the number of times people are like, that's a great idea. (laughs) The more people tell you, no, it can't be done means you must be onto a really good idea. Yes. (laughs) But we knew that what we were going to ask of people was Herculean and that it was only going to work. We were only going to be successful if we, alongside all of the tactical work that was being done in building RFG 2.0, that we spent a significant amount of time on culture. And it started immediately. And we started initially with what is an A player? Because only A players are going to thrive at RFG. And thrive is the keyword there. An A player can survive anything, but to thrive means you have a different kind of energy and and approach to it. So what does it mean to be an A player at RFG? And we started defining what that means in terms of mindset, what that means in terms of service, what that means in terms of commitment. And we put into place all of these little touchstones. Like one of our internal sayings is that we are relentless, relentlessly in the pursuit of excellence, but not perfection. Because we we want a culture that's not afraid to fail. We're never trying to make it perfect. We just want to keep iterating towards excellence. We have another one of our touchstones is FIO, figure it out. If it's internally being discussed, it's FFIO. (laughs) So figure it out. What does that mean? That means 
Don't ask for permission. Figure it out. Find a solution. Bring it to the group. We have from day one, we built a collaborative workspace, which actually this was inspired by my very first trip up to Orion, where they just had the hallways covered in whiteboard and they have all these collaborative workspaces. And I was like, that's it. Like, that's how you, you motivate a team is that you designate a space for it. That became a really safe sacred space, our huddle room. We would bring to the huddle room problems we were having, solutions we were implementing, what was working, what wasn't working, what are advisors saying, what are clients saying, how can we be better? So we would have this very intentional way that we were meeting, intentional way that we were communicating. And that value system on what does it mean to be an A player? What does success look like at RFG? We walk it every single day. And what was really fortuitous is as you get bigger, you have to system Always you're on a journey of iteration. You're always refining how you're functioning as a team, how you're functioning as a leader, what really is driving that purpose, that shared mission. Everybody is informed about what is RFG's mission and purpose. It's not that you need to be able to do someone else's job. Mm-hmm. It's that you need, if you're in finance, you need to know what's happening in marketing. If you're in technology, you need to understand what's happening in business development. If you're in business development, you need to understand what's happening in compliance. And if you're in compliance, you need to understand what's happening in operations. So developing this culture of shared responsibility really allows us to walk the walk on kind of our first stated purpose, which is we're a service company first. We're a technology company second, and we're an RIA third. The Mm -hmm. order of those is incredibly important. And if you're going to put yourself out there and say, we're going to distinguish ourselves on service, you better be ready to walk the walk on that. What you just wrote is the gospel for today's business owner. Whether or not that you're as big as an RFG or you're a two-person office, the real magic happens when you bring people together And then you create the culture boundary around it. And in your case, just saying, hey, this is our mindset. This is why we're here. The service, the tech, the RIA. It seems like everyone that I would be able to call upon with an RFG could probably repeat that gospel. And I love that we're starting to think and run our businesses more collaboratively and how the technology is augmenting around that, right? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to be it. You pick the road less traveled, but you brought the A-team with you, which made it happen. Absolutely. I mean, the dismantling of the traditional hierarchy and leadership is going to be one of the great results, the great outcomes of the global pandemic and giving voice to your team. But I'll tell you, Tina, it there is a, there's four years invested in developing that ethos, developing that language, communicate. Bobby always says, communicate, communicate, re-communicate. Like, Amen. It is so true. Recognizing that as a leader, it's no longer the responsibility. And I think Tom Nally did such a great job of this. You felt this so much at TD. It's not the role of the leader to tell everybody what to do. And then they go off and do it and they report back into you. It is to inspire them and empower them to live the full embodiment of the position that they're in and to have the license to seek additional opportunity in the organization. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. So we had made a commitment in 2019. One of our goals was to just help all of our operations assistants who are are supporting our advisors skill up, like just get more knowledge about operations and compliance and and just be armed with an enhanced skill set. So we created RFG University to do that and did this intense training. And the feedback from RFG University was like, this is great, but how do we keep doing this? Because as you can imagine, it was a huge time commitment on our team's part, by the admin's part, all the forms and the need to know, and it's going to make onboarding. I mean, this project is massive. It is so awesome. And you know who spearheaded it for RFG? Our director of HR. 
one of the things that I think is really true about the changing nature of our culture and our businesses is you can't onboard employees one time and be like, all right, we're good. You know what the deal is here. But this is a continuous experience. Yeah continuous investment in in their engagement. So how do you do that? So she has owned this monster project. And that to me is a a real hallmark of a high functioning culture. She never once felt like, ooh, if I screw this up, I'm gonna get fired or I'm gonna be in trouble or we just iterate to excellence create a beta group, get it launched, and it's just gonna continue to evolve and get better. But I think creating that that dismantling of that hierarchy and having intentionality around what you're really allowing your team to engage in, what you're allowing them to take ownership of, what you're allowing them to have knowledge about, that really unleashes kind of the that entrepreneurial spirit and that ability for your firm to grow so much bigger than yourselves. It's a powerful story of developing other people. How do you get something like that started when the ethos hasn't been as R&D oriented, right? How do you create that margin of safety for people who want to take on these stretch assignments, bring in new technology, bring in new innovation and do that small beta test and say, hey, I have this idea to be the lonely voice in the room during that next team meeting and say, you know what? We've done things this way, but I think that there might be another way. And then everybody looks and they're like, yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. This is this is such a powerful story. I'm so glad that you're sharing it right now because I think a lot of firms and people and business leaders would love to be exactly what your HR director did, would love to be her right now. You know, Tina, it's interesting because I feel like my partners with Bobby and with Rick, we live this day in and day out. So it's second nature, right? We don't know anything other than building a culture that embraces radical candor that allows you to, you know, to take chances. But if I step away from RFG and I think about it a broader context, if you're wanting to make that shift, I really think it starts with mission and value because I heard this fantastic and I was thinking about this. I'm a Peloton girl. I love Peloton. I love our Pelotons. So Robin was talking about the number one question she gets asked is how do you stay motivated? And she had the best answer. She said, you can't stay motivated. You have to have purpose. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. Because it's true, right? I always say to my kids, and we talk about this on our team, mindset expires every 24 hours. You wake up, you got to have a positive mindset. I consider that one of my greatest strengths is the power of positive mindset. But guess what? Sand drips through the uh, hourglass, it expires. The next day, You got to have it again. You got to have it again. You got to have it again. And there are days where you can grit through it with motivation and like self-talk and like, I'm just going to do this. But if you don't have purpose, it's really hard to stay motivated. You've got to have something bigger than yourself to drive you. So I really think if you're sitting on that precipice of we've run a very traditional firm, we're all in our very traditional roles. How do we shake this up? It's going to be scary. It's going to be uncomfortable. Know that right now. Like if you are going to change things, it is going to be uncomfortable. There is a fantastic book, Tina. I'm going to grab it. It's by Ben Horowitz. It's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Andreessen Horowitz, right? The founder of Andreessen Horowitz. Exactly. San Francisco. Which founded Netscape. Yes. All roads come back. The hard thing about hard things is it's the truth. It's hard. So you're sitting on this precipice. You want change. You know it's going to be scary. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be fear. If you really can sit down and align yourselves in terms of mission and values and purpose, that's your catalyst. 
Because from there, then you can start thinking about the more tactical aspects of it. For us, it's about functional teams. It's about KPIs. It's about cadence to communication. It's about radical candor. So there are all these things, but that doesn't happen overnight. You you build in and you layer into the strengths of your leadership team and of your team in general. And then I hate to say it, but not everybody's going to love it. Either you are all in or you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And you're making the right decisions, the hard decisions for the longevity of your organization to position yourself to thrive. I mean, this is the most exciting time in wealth management. The winds of change, the disruption, and against that backdrop, it has never been more important to have the trusted resource and guidance of a financial advisor. They're really one of the only people left standing that you can forge a relationship with that will know everything about your life. They'll know about your, your children. They'll know about your hopes and dreams. They know about your fears. They have, they're, they're committed to making the time for you. You don't get that with your doctor. A lot of people don't live in communities where they're surrounded by their nuclear family for that support network. But your financial advisor is sitting there at the middle of your relationship. And one of the things that we really believe so strongly is that it's no longer about managing your portfolio. It's about helping you design your life. What could be more important than that? especially against all of this unprecedented change that we're living in. So it's a hugely exciting time to have a disruptive mindset about retail wealth management and about what advisors can do. And for us, all about independence. It's all about being the RIA of the future. We really are fiercely committed to the amplification of that one-to-one relationship between the advisor and client, because that's really at the end of the day, what, what RFG is all about supporting independent advisors and their clients. And what I've noticed, I haven't been in the industry since 14 like you, but I have seen and partially spun off because of the pandemic, it's been accelerated. There's a changing of the guard. You you hit upon it earlier. It's quite a different picture than it was even 10 years ago. You know, what is your advice? There are a lot of people listening who might not think that financial services is a career, whether or not they go into being a financial advisor, being a trader, being an analyst like you. What do you want to say to those people who might be, even some of the younger people, uh, we have interns right now who have loved, loved being part of this podcast, trying to engineer their own futures. What do you say about this industry? Who is it for and who isn't it for anymore? It's it's different now than it was a decade ago. I'll tell you, I am the biggest cheerleader for a career in finance. I think that as an industry as a whole, we have done, Kate Healy is the expert on this. We have done a horrible job of recruiting talent to our industry. And as someone who has spent, with the exception of my my three-year creative break at Busy Bees, my entire professional career in finance, both on the institutional side and on the retail wealth management side, there are so many avenues to pursue and so many ways to make an impact. And so what I would say, first and foremost, as kind of a call out to those that are in a hiring position, especially as it relates to women, we as an industry tend to be box checkers. We like credentials. We liked experience that is exactly reflective of the role that we are going to hire for. It makes us feel safe. We can check all those boxes on paper. They look great. Well, as a result, we miss out on a significant amount of talent that is available because they might not have that exact alignment of experience to the role that we're hiring for. So I think the first call out, you know, it is our responsibility as an industry to take a broader perspective as we're thinking about roles. And really, this is a shout out for hiring women, women who want to come back into the workforce from either having kids and opting out or women who've never thought about a career in finance. I kind of can't help myself. We want the guys to, we want you to go into our industry, but this industry 
is a fantastic career path for women, especially as a financial advisor. So first and foremost, that is a a career that offers not only flexibility, but the opportunity to really generate a significant amount of income to be able to provide for yourself and for your families. And then there are all these other avenues, right? There are careers in operations, in compliance, in marketing, in technology, Really, it's a question of like, what what lights you up? If you're interested in operations and what I would call like process improvement, and you're someone who's very organized and wants to be in control of a significant amount of information, like operations is a fantastic path for you. If you're interested in any facet of technology, that I will tell you, you want to go out and hire right now a director of technology for your firm, good luck. You are unicorn hunting. This is homegrown talent. Yeah. This is homegrown talent. You've really got to develop that talent in-house. So that is giving someone in your firm, most likely, the opportunity to say, hey, you expressed interest in technology. I'll give you a perfect example on our team. Our social media marketing coordinator, he started with us in operations. He was an admin assistant. And in his review, he indicated that his passion was photography and videography and that he had studied marketing in undergrad and that that's what he wanted his career path to be. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. What is what does this look like? What do you mean you like to do this? I had no idea. <laughs> and so, you know what we did? We gave him a shot. We're like, all right, you got a double time. You've got a full-time job here at RFG. You want another thing. Here's what you have to do. Let's set out some milestones and some projects. Let's let you fail. Let's let you succeed. And I think Tina can attest, he is in a position where he is earning and learning the skill set that at some point he will be a director of marketing. There's no question. And you have something like 60 videos and, and growing. It's amazing. He's putting out like two videos per week and they're unbelievable. And the passion and just the excitement and he's terrific. Wow. I'm really, really impressed at the job that, that you're all doing over there. But most of all, the enthusiasm that he brings and the fact that you allowed him to do that ladder into something that you want to do, still take on the responsibilities that you signed up for However, show us what you can do. Show us what you can do. Yeah. Matt, Tina, I'll tell you one little nugget that comes back to the intentionality with which you are defining your culture and your team. Because a big part of ours is we do have a formalized annual review process. We do take the time to really go through that. We practice radical candor throughout the year. So you're almost in a constant state of feedback. But that formalized period and defining like this is your role, this is your responsibility. I don't know if I would have necessarily learned that about Gibson had I not had that that process and that time carved out to really go through all of that reviews and and listen, what are your hopes and dreams? Like you're not going to know what your team is interested in and what they're capable of if you're not asking that question. Wow. There's so many pieces. There's so many important pieces of information you touched upon. Naturally, we'll have it in the show notes. Naturally, we're going to write an unbelievable article about this episode. There's some of us that are audio learners, some of us that, that are visual. I know that I am so happy that we are memorializing this conversation right now. It's a conversation that I myself want to go back to. I think that every business leader right now listening, no matter if you're running a marketing agency, you're running a hybrid RIA, or if you're even running a a winery or a clothing company. The mindset is everything, being all in. All of these themes are just great ways for us to really live a life that's well-lived. And if we've learned anything right now through this time, it is to make sure that you're waking up every morning with gratitude, with appreciation, and you're bringing your whole self to wherever it is that, whatever it is that you're doing. So for anybody that wants to follow up with you and get in touch with you, Shannon. I know that you're on Twitter. I know that you're on LinkedIn. Kind of give us uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch. All of the above. Engage in in social media. Stronger Money will be soon on Instagram as well, which is an exciting initiative for education for women. Uh, So yes, please. I love to connect in our industry. Networking and supporting each other is probably one of our greatest strengths and something we're all missing, not being at conference 
conferences and the like. So anything I can do, I would love to hear from people. And there's one last question that we ask every woman in the suite, because there are moments in our life, in our careers, when we come into the suite that we need that power boost. And so sometimes it's people just telling themselves a mantra, wearing something, carrying themselves. And we've heard all kinds of really, really cool answers. And I just love to ask this question because I never know what I'm going to hear. And it's interesting. I've known you for a long time. I'd love to hear what that is what that is for you. Again, I've seen you, you're a top performer, you're an A player, you're president of a, of a great company. Do you, do you have anything like this? What's your, what's your superpower? Mine is so shallow <laughs> to admit it. And I'll tell you, uh, Heather Fortner and Terry Shepard and shout out to the, to those women. They will get a kick out of this. Mine is shoes. And it's got to be a high heel. And if it's red or animal print, all the better. (laughs) That's so fantastic. Well, I think the last time that I saw you was at the TD Ameritrade. I know it was at the TD Ameritrade conference. I just looked at John Ruda's Twitter and you and I were in the innovation alley there and you were wearing a pair of awesome animal print shoes. So, okay, well, well, there we go. Well, again, Shannon Spotswood, what an incredible motivational episode this is today. I'm just so thrilled. I'm so appreciative of the fact that you're here and giving of your time and your talents and most of all your energy because we picked up so many incredible lessons. We are going to use this time in this pandemic, everyone, to reboot and put ourselves on a rocket ship. Shannon Spotswood, thank you so, so much. Thanks, Tina. listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business and the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers are Tina Powell and Kevin Hershorn. Our editor at large is Kevin Hershorn. Our content writers are Simone Brathwaite, Carmen Varner, and Tina Powell. Our research and technical assistants are Natika Upriti and Rachel Powell. In The Suite podcast is sponsored by C-Suite Social Media, a digital marketing and social media agency for C-Suite brands and leaders in finance and technology. You can visit csuitesocialmedia.com to learn more and for show notes from today's broadcast. And thank you so much to listening and subscribing to In The Suite podcast. Please, please let us know how you enjoyed this episode with Shannon Spotswood and share your thoughts on LinkedIn and Twitter and using the hashtag In The Suite. I would love it and it would mean so much if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Google or Spotify or wherever you listen to this amazing episode with Shannon Spotswood. You can connect with her on LinkedIn and you can follow her on Twitter at sspotswood. RFG. And always, if you would like to share the name of a successful woman in financial services we should interview, please send it to me at tina at csuitesocialmedia.com. Believe it or not, we are already into January 2021's planning. So again, I really appreciate you guys listening and subscribing to In the Suite.